Hey everyone, welcome to CTF Radio. We have, for the first time, we're doing a live, recording a live episode. It is Monday, October 26th at 4 p.m. Jan's here, I'm here, and we are hopefully going to take uh, some live questions if we can get it. If uh, you're watching this later, if you keep track of the our Twitter feed, there'll be a link so that you can call in to the show and ask questions which we're doing right now, and we're also streaming to Twitch and YouTube, so if anybody has any questions for us there, I suppose we'll try to answer them there, but Jan is the Twitch uh, streaming master. He's streaming his entire course on Twitch, so he's probably much, much better at this than I am. Do you feel like you're a Twitch streaming master, Jan? I, uh, right before this, I had office hours for Pwn College, and it took me about 15 minutes to enter my own Twitch chat, so... I feel very... So the answer is no, you don't, you don't feel like an expert. Or maybe the good segue is you uh, feel like all CTF players feel. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> and um, just to confirm, exactly. since I didn't confirm this earlier, and this is, of course, something I probably would cut, but you are using Chrome to access this website. Is this correct? Yeah, absolutely, okay. man. Chrome Yeah, all you the make way. it seem like that's crazy, but the last episode we recorded, <laughs> you did not. <laughs> exactly. Uh, hold on, I'm, 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 how do I, you see, this is, uh, this is not as simple as it looks. This is something so I would normally I, cut I can't out do, people watching. Exactly. I, I, I can't do Twitch on, um, my computer because it overheats. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, so instead, I have to do Twitch on the iPad, but, um, the iPad is very hit and miss on actually... Yes. Okay. We're live. Zero viewers. Perfect. Exactly how many viewers I expected us to have. Wow. Cool. This is our first time doing this, so that's okay. So until we wait for the torrent of people that are definitely going to be coming into our stream, I think we can start off with, so this is actually our eighth episode. So we've been doing this now for two months, which seems kind of insane. We went, yeah, that went is from crazy. a tiny idea to now people actually... Um, you know, watching this. So thanks everyone out there. I know we really appreciate it. Do you want to say anything to the people out there, Jan? Yeah, I think it's uh, very easy as a community to um, pile in weekend after weekend. Not easy, but this is what the community does. Pile in weekend after weekend and uh, build CTFs, uh, run them, play them, um, make write-ups and then forget they ever existed. Uh, there's a lot of culture and, uh, you know, experiences created in the CTF community that deserve to be, um, propagated onwards into, into, uh, the future to leave a legacy. So hopefully, um, that's, you know, these last two months have started that in a, in, in a nice and archivable and approachable way. Ah, I see a problem where our streaming on my personal youtube stream that is nice okay uh -oh. we'll just roll with that uh that's not what i wanted but whatever uh that's cool <laughs> okay do you want me to tweet out no, 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 the tweet's fine i just also did it to youtube and twitch and so the twitch is going fine mm -hmm. on ctf radio yeah i'm on it and it's, i see it but it's also on youtube so whatever cool okay so the first then thing we can talk about so kind of the the purpose of this live show and maybe we'll I don't know, do this every two months or do it on some more regular basis, depending yeah. on how it goes. One of the first things that actually came up that was incredibly amazing is we had some 
almost historical comments that came from the community in response to some of our first episodes. And kind of the first one I want to uh, bring up is this comment on the CGF Radio YouTube page from Bob F. And this was on our episode on what is Capture the Flag, you know, the very first episode that we came up with. And so I'll, I'll read this and then I'll kind of let you respond, Jan. So the, the comment yeah. is from Bob F. We, Ken Shoto, wrote that first Jeopardy board for DEF CON 14, our second year running it. Our first year we had to... Uh, stick to the Ghetto Hackers sequential binaries qualifier model where there was a Linux host with each level's binary set UID in a way to give you access to the next challenge directory when you gained execution. Yeah, so this is a super fascinating part of CTF history, right? Um, where did Jeopardy come from? Um, no one knew. I mean, uh, I guess people knew, obviously, but in the community, Jeopardy is just how you uh, have most CTFs. You know, CTFD uh, provides a Jeopardy CTF, uh, several other frameworks as well. And uh, you always know that there are some types of CTFs, Jeopardy versus uh, attack defense and so forth. But but the history of these has been lost in some sort of a shrouded, uh, you know, mist of time. Um, and this is super interesting to see... Uh, a comment on 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 our uh, channel, yeah. right? Which is which is uh, super cool that already we are kind of starting to evoke these uh, um, recollections. I guess um, I'd always thought that uh, Jeopardy was was invented um, at DefCon CTF, and it was just how um, the CTF was um, either always or just kind of emerged from there. Um, the other thing that Bob mentioned there, um, the uh, set UID level yep. by level, the the um, so can you explain what that is for people? Design, who... yeah, absolutely. So this is a different design of hacking challenges, um, a little more of a war game style, let's say. Probably the 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 true um, successor of this is war games like Pornwell.kr, where you you know just go click one by one. Nothing keeps you from skipping, but you know, you, you typically rarely do. Um, the uh, I and, and I guess it was the original design of the DEF CON qualifiers, which is super crazy. It, it, it's this concept where you connect to a host and you're some user, user level one, for example. And um, user level one has access to a uh, specific program. When you exploit that program, you exploit it to gain the privileges of user level two. And then that one has, and so on, right? So you, you, you go from level one to level two to level three and to level four. And it has this, if I may, it has this nice gating property, right? Where it sets up mm -hmm. kind of naturally, you can't go on to the next level until you've completed the previous level, which has been actually persisted in the original Jeopardy model of CTFs, where you originally, just like the Jeopardy board game, you have a, a board of Jeopardy challenges. The organizers pick one, and then the first person who solves that opens up the next one. And so on and so forth. Yes, and and in the original, it was really the next one. So in every category, you could only open up the the, the next difficulty in every um, category. So if you wanted, if you solved the you know one hundred point Ponable challenge, uh, you know, in a Jeopardy board, you could open up the two hundred point Ponable challenge. Exactly. Um, and, and so on. Um, and so th this uh, set UID race um, is something that that you can still see on over the wire, right? 
So if someone says, yeah, you know, to learn Linux, go to overthewire.org um, and um, try the Bandit challenges. Um, if you log in, you log in as level zero, and then you go and, and, and hack your way to level one and so on. Um, I saw it the first time at UC Santa Barbara in... Uh, yeah, exactly. And our advisors um, and, and Giovanni's uh, security course where, you know, you log in and, and, and this is a homework assignment. You log in to level one, you're given a username and password. And then from there, it's just a exploitation race. I think at level 13 or 14 um, was, was the last one. And on the machine itself, there's a command, you know, scoreboard or whatever. And it'll print an ASCII scoreboard just based on um, the, the log of who logged into what. Uh, and that that was a super uh, awesome design, but I had no idea that it used to be a def the DEFCON qualifier. And to connect design. it That's even crazy further, because... this is something I still use in my grad class. So I borrowed from Giovanni and modified levels and made it to be 15 levels, but this is still... And I think in terms of education, right, it's a nice model for approaching a security challenge because you have one thing to focus on. So on one hand, you have one thing to focus on, Right? You solve that challenge, and then you get to the next one. And if you design it correctly, it becomes a building up of your skill sets over time so that you learn kind of one thing in one level, and then that takes you to the next level, and then the next level. So that, that's something that I think is a very powerful model. Now, it has downsides, right? I think the, the key problem is when you get stuck at a level, it is insanely frustrating, and you have nothing to move on to. But I've also seen the reverse where I've done it where you have all 10 levels that can be worked on at once. And yeah, exactly. So uh, Zion is mentioning in the chat on uh, YouTube that this is in uh, CSE 365. So I also developed the same thing for undergrads, but this one I let them uh, exploit any level they wanted. And while that has a lot of benefits, the downside is you're really constrained in terms of what things you actually start exploiting. So it can be a really tricky, um, it's a really tricky kind of trade-off because people want to spend you know, they may not spend enough time to exploit a certain level and they'll pop between levels trying to figure things out. So I think this is just a fascinating uh, way and approach to think about doing a type of CTF. And it's amazing seeing that that notion that still exists today came all the way from DEF CON 14. Or, sorry, came all the yeah. way from Ghetto Hackers with their original qualifying event. So they must have just let yeah. the team's yeah, SSH yeah. into a system and they must have been a shared machine that they all had gated levels. And maybe, I don't know, this is too early for SSH? Were they telnetting in? Like, I don't even know. So so that that's an interesting question. I hadn't actually considered that. Um, no, I would imagine. Well, so SSH was just starting to um, get adoption in 2001, right? So it could have been, potentially, could have been pre-SSH. But... Yeah, it depends on how far back in, in, in Ghetto Hackers yeah, history. So it's, it's, and I think that we actually did bring this up to Giovanni uh, Vigna from, at UCSB, and he said he actually got the idea of his levels from over the wire. So it actually didn't come mm -hmm. directly from DEF CON that he got that idea. So it's super interesting seeing the seeds of an idea kind of go throughout history and that are still alive and well today. So that's, it's, it's fascinating to, to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think it's very easy to lose track of that. Um, Ken Shoto has done some talks, some members of Ken Shoto, but there isn't a 
like let's say a, a book on uh, you know or or even a series of blog posts necessarily um, on how you know they went through uh, and, and 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 designed the qualifiers and what they took as inspiration and etc. And there have been talks and private conversations with legit BS and I'm sure there have been talks and private conversations with ghetto hackers and and right. DD Tech. Um, uh, and 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 their presentation actually, DD Tech has has uh, quite a few um, that hopefully are still somewhere on YouTube or are. something. But it's hard to get all of this uh, information in, in in a digestible way. I don't know. Maybe we'll just be yet another hard to digest. Uh, you know, hours and hours of me babbling on and on about legacy and and stuff. But oh, I think know. it's it's useful, right? Uh, um. Hannah Millie in the Twitch stream suggested CTF book. CTF. Which. CTFBO.OO. Yeah, amazing. That's great. So, yeah, that's. And I think it's something that one of our goals as we go forward with this podcast, right? We want to talk about not just the current state of CTF and security, but also looking back to the past and understanding how we got to where we are today by hopefully talking with some of these people. So, if we can get. You know, somebody from uh, Ken Shoto on the record to talk about how they, you know, created that or, or what they remember about that time because it's been such a long time since then. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, cool. Anything else on this topic? Um, you know, it's, it's – what is really interesting is um, the history of attack mm-hmm. defense. That's also a little bit, um, you know, oh, it probably came out of DEF CON. Right. Right. Um, but initially, the early days of DEFCON CTF, again, from word of mouth and rumors and, 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 and you know, mythology is that uh, the organizers would set up boxes for um, attendees mm-hmm. to attack, right? So at what point did it become attack defense? At what point did the um, attendees themselves have to defend their boxes? And it's one of these things where this seems like I'm sure that there's someone that we can sit down with and maybe we should track them down and have them as a guest um, that could tell us all of this. But um, the fact that the organizers of, of, of DEF CON don't know um, is, is interesting. Um, yeah, exactly. Because it, yeah, it, that, it, that's kind it of a... does seem like a minor thing when, when you first kind of think about it, right? Like, oh, of course, well... You're just attacking things, so then why not do the defensive component? But it actually fundamentally changes the architecture of the game, how you have to create this thing. You can't just yeah. have one box. You have to have N boxes for all the teams. It brings up patching strategies. It brings up a whole different aspect. It brings up network analysis, which you don't have necessarily in an attack game. So what may seem like a minor conceptual, like, well, of course, that's the next step, brings with it so much complexity that it would be fascinating to to understand who made that leap and how did they... Maybe how do they expect it to go versus how did it actually go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, another example that is much more recent is King of the mm-hmm. Hill, right? So I was under the impression that Secon created King of the Hill, but um, I vaguely remember an offhand comment recently. Um, so I should remember it better, but I haven't been sleeping a lot this semester. Um, a vague, uh, an offhand comment recently that they might have gotten gotten inspiration from another. Oh, so yeah, I have this is actually our next comment. So this is a comment that mm-hmm. was on our YouTube page. Uh, I'm gonna 
Butcher, you want to take a, a shot at that name? Let me okay, uh, pull up the, the so, doc. Oh, I got it. I got it. Let's see. Uh, these are the quiet moments that I cut, oh, too. Poteti sensei. sensei. I don't know what that means or if it's offensive, so I think we'll hopefully do our best. So so they said, basically, as far as <laughs> yeah. I know, b- before oh, yeah, SecCon yeah. CTF started, there had already been a few CTS played in the King of the Hill style. Uh, for example, at least I know no con name Facebook CTF Finals 2013 was one of them. But I'm sure that SecCon named it, though. So there's uh, something very interesting there about being the one to actually name a thing. If you have the power over naming a thing, then you have power over that thing, right? So people then associate that with you. Um, So, yeah, this is a classic example, like you said, of an idea that existed beforehand. But you kind of associate it with SecCon as far as other people do. But at least there were other CTFs in that time frame that were doing similar um, uh, uh, King of the Hill style CTF challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And and oftentimes, um, it, one thing is naming and the other thing is um, having the kind of uh, position in the community to uh, popularize it. For yes. example, I had thought that um, OCTF invented dynamic scoring. Uh, but according to, you know, people on Oops that I've discussed this with, that's not actually the case. Um, it, dynamic scoring was around before. OCTF is just the... the uh, first, uh, very prominent CTF. That's another classic one of these examples that's a kind of a, a, well, of course, dynamic scoring. But, you know, until somebody actually does it, shows that it works, it's kind of difficult to make that mm-hmm. jump from static scoring to dynamic scoring. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, awesome. Yeah, that's great. So those are some of the um, uh, terms and forms of feedback, right? This is some of the, the interesting bits of CTF history, CTF trivia that have come from doing this show that we're like super interested to get. So if you have more of these things, you know, please send it in, comment on our pages, do whatever. And we'll, as long as you get those, those comments to us, we will definitely be able to, to turn them around and include them uh, in a future episode. You know, what might be a cool thing, Adam, to um, actually have a section on, on CTF radio. slash trivia or something or slash, you know, something like that. That would be cool. It's yeah. I like that a lot. Awesome. So cool. Now that Jan has assigned me more work. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Adam, just put all these links onto your page. It'll be great. Uh, Cool. Okay, so we have a couple questions here. I'm going to start off with this first one because it's the very first question that we got on our very first episode. And this is, uh, I like that we're going to answer this question because it's in terms of being honest about who we are and how we came to kind of where we be, uh, where we... um, where we came from and where we are and not trying to hide or I don't know, trying to make us seem more fancier than we are. So uh, the question was, did you guys ever get a black badge? And so this comes from in full disclosure, my cousin, Trevor, who actually knows nothing. uh, He's not a security person. He's actually a, uh, he works as an assistant director in LA. So if you have, you know, commercials or other stuff you want to hire him for, he's online uh, on Twitter at, Trev Munster, T-R-E-V-M-U-N-S-T-E-R. He's been listening to our podcast, even though he knows nothing about security. So I don't know if that says about our podcast or how much of a good cousin he is to me. So, <laughs> so Jan, did we, did us guys ever or get both. win a black badge? The two of us, Adam, are absolute black badge lists. Um, That's why we wear so black much badge black list. to make up for it. Exactly. Compensate. Um, no, so uh, interestingly, obviously, uh, 
in case you don't know, Adam, we played for Shellfish uh, before we started organizing. Um, and uh, Shellfish did win uh, DEFCON CTF, but they won DEFCON CTF in um, much earlier days than when we started. So Shellfish won in 2005, right? I believe so. Um, which, do you remember which DEFCON uh, that was? I looked it up. Uh, I want to say it was 13, but... Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it was thirteen. I think it was the. So I I was attending DefCon, but not as a participant in DefCon CTF since DefCon nine. DefCon thirteen, I uh, actually missed for uh, personal reasons that, in retrospect, were unfortunate. But uh, I missed DefCon thirteen. I think that's the. It the is DefCon thirteen. I did look it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so on uh, order of overflow, we, we have people it. that you know. Exactly. So the we compensate um, to get that uh, legitimacy um, for OO by uh, having uh, some of the um, black badge uh, holders of that DEFCON victory. Exactly. With us. Yeah, and and um, in wheelchairs and you know on on oxygen and so forth to keep them keep them yeah, around. Yeah, they still uh, using they still use object dump, but you know we love them anyways. <laughs> exactly. But we love them anyways. Um, the uh, but the, the the key thing is that uh, it's obviously hard to win a black badge. You need to be very very good, but you shouldn't let that gate you exactly right um, from participating and contributing to the community, right? Um, you don't. I mean, obviously. The, the more accolades you get, the better it is for you. But uh, there are extremely um, impactful people all over the, the community that, um, you know, don't, uh, aren't allowed to get recognition that work, you know, behind the scenes. Perry so Bus says uh, um, object and dump is only valid the, if you use Intel syntax, so. Exa- yes, exactly. That's very, very, uh, <laughs> very real. Um yeah, but and and the, um, and, oh, the and so, other yeah. thing I want to hype real quick. Uh, we are trying to set up a hopefully sometime in the nearish term future. We hope to have a podcast with the some of those original OGs from Shellfish who won that DefCon thirteen CTF. So I think that would be right. that would be awesome. Super interesting hearing their side of the story and like Jan says, whatever their um, you know uh, old age addled memories can can dredge up. Hopefully, there's some good stuff in there. Yeah, so um, the the important thing I think that you're getting at, Adam, is uh, people have a tendency to look up to you know the DefCon organizers and and think oh, these are hacking gods. You know, I, I did when I was uh, wandering around DefCon nine um, or uh, DefCon ten or DefCon eleven or you know every DefCon, and then um, I would look okay the, these players are gods, the the organizers are gods, and then I started playing. I realized, wait, shit, all these players are, are, are massive noobs just like me, right? We're just, you know, uh, just, just you know, no- <laughs> we're noobs in a very targeted exactly. way, right? Um, and But then I figured, okay, the organizers, they're still gods. And then, of course, um, uh, legit BS retired, and uh, maybe the organizers were gods, but now I can tell you the organizers are also massive noobs. <laughs> um, I think it's just uh, noobs all the way up basically probably probably if you get to the point where you're dark tangent and you you know take over 
his life somehow, um, you'll realize, oh crap, I'm still a noob. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, though I'm sure that Dark Tangent is a is a is a hacking god um, right now. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's very easy to look up and be frozen by um, you know these people must have learned so much, must have put so much time in. Jan has been playing CTFs for over a decade, um, whereas I just started three years ago, something along these lines, right? right. Um, but it's very important to to correct and realize everybody is uh, um, everybody is faking it until they make it. Just some people have been yeah, doing you just have to keep putting the time and the work in. I think that's the the key yeah. takeaway, right? If you put in the time, the work, the effort, you too can be, you know, wherever it is you want to be. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a discussion going on in Twitch right now about object dump and multicolored pens as the optimal um, reverse engineering tool. Um, you laugh, but I have been involved in government meetings on 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 uh government research programs with quite a lot of resources where because of the uh kind of alignment what was the term when the the sun's aligned the uh, um, or the stars aligned it's like yeah, exactly some crazy the, astrological thing that i don't know in where venus and mars they're are, in like the same house or something or conjunction, conjunction. There we go. Due to a conjunction of, of, of insane events, Objedump and multicolored pens were the optimal reversing technique, uh, where a, a, a team of, of very elite people actually printed out disassembly and stapled it onto a hey, wall. And, 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 and One of my first times it. teaching a grad um, class, I had a student who I won't out right now, but uh, they came into my office and said, hey... Uh, I don't think level whatever 15 is uh, exploitable. I'm like, what do you mean? And then they bring a stack of, they had like 15 pages of paper printed out of the assembly and like laid it all out on my desk. And we went over it and like, I'm like, all right, yep, you are correct. That does not get you what I wanted. And so then I had to go back and fix it. And yeah, sometimes that's the best way to prove that you're right is a stack of papers. And uh, this person did not have any colored uh, pens or pencils as far as I know, but that's the problem. That's that's how you get. How ah, you that makes up. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So this actually then uh, feeds into our next question. So I prioritize this uh, person's question because they were the first one in our chat. So uh, shout out to at Han uh, Emil. I'm going to say E M I L E. Uh, and this person asked us, so what kind of modifications slash changes to the world of CTF are you expecting in the future? And I'll extend this a little bit, and you can either talk about what you expect to see or what maybe you want to see. Of course, without, again, the caveat, we're not giving away anything that the Order of the Overflow is or is not planning to do for any future DEF CON events, so don't try to um, get that in there. Exactly. Um, I mean, I, I think... If I could pose a area of maybe maybe a genre of answer that we should discuss is uh, how does CTF remain relevant, mm -hmm. right? And there are two parts to this. One is um, CTF and CTF uh, participants love uh, ponables, mm -hmm. right? And 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 very subtle, crazy ponables, right? Insane heap things, uh, crazy kernel exploits etc 
we're slowly moving toward a future where that doesn't exist, right? Um, how do you CTF in a world of rust, right? If if we get there. Well, I, have a, um, I have a clear a answer for of... that. It's web, man. Like, look at the web. There's entire languages that are dedicated yeah. to preventing the old classic pwn style vulnerabilities. That doesn't mean they don't exist. Yeah, I definitely agree that, that obviously there will still be, um, you know, CTF capab- uh, opportunities. But, you know, try creating a CTF without a pwnable. Um, there was a recent one. Um, was it, it wasn't new to hack. I, I don't remember what it was, but they said, you know, we're just not going to have any pwnables. And they got a huge amount of sure. blowback, right? So it's something that, you know, maybe it'll naturally um, happen as uh, the community shifts along with changing technology. For example, last month, Intel released chips with uh, control flow uh, enforcement technology, right? Which is going to wreck um, ROP pretty heavily, Uh for one, I'm going to have to rewrite my entire ROP module next year um, or two years from now or whenever they become actually adopted. But if you if you take a binary on um, Ubuntu 20.04 and you disassemble it, you'll see this NBR64 instruction everywhere, right? When those are actually enforced, ROP is not quite gone, but it's going to get much, much, much less relevant, right? Oh, but um, could you, somebody, to play devil's advocate a little bit, could somebody have said that about buffer overflows before ROP was really kind of conceptualized and like something like, let's say ASLR, when ASLR took off, right? I think you could reasonably have suspected like, oh yeah, okay, this kind of type of exploitation is going away, but it took new techniques like ROP to make make it so that that's not the case. So do you foresee that as a fundamental shift or is it a shift until attackers, until we get better about exploiting this weird machine? I mean, you already have answers to this in some sense, right? Block-oriented programming in academia, right? So you say, okay, well, given enough control over data, we can um, do the equivalent of ROP, but on entire basic blocks or entire um, uh, Mm -hmm. paths, control flow paths. Right, um, and you've had that for a while. In in 2015 was the height of this ROP anti-ROP um, uh, insanity. Right, that that uh, was was uh, in academia was a huge cat and mouse game. So I think CET isn't going to kill ROP. I agree, but we're we're, we're gradually moving. You know further and further into uh, kind of the sunset of memory corruption. I mean, maybe, hopefully from the perspective of, uh, you know, security engineers, but hopefully not from the perspective of, you know. Yeah, for the benefit of, you know, computer users everywhere, I think we all want a future where these types of vulnerabilities go away or these type of exploits go away, right? I think that'll make definitely everything better. So hopefully that does make the difference but my gut reaction from seeing a lot of this stuff is that it will cause people to look elsewhere for other types of bugs right there'll be data only attacks or there'll be uh, different types of ways of that maybe aren't as beautiful and fun as we like rop to be but that still allow different types of 
let's say, I mean, it's different types of exploits, right? It's all about, you know, what is a vulnerability at the end of the day or an exploit? It's something that allows you to compromise the security of an application. So if that causes us to get more creative and more clever with what types of applications we go after, I think a thing to think about is, is like Ethereum and smart contracts, right? They are written in a language yeah. that doesn't have yeah. buffer overflows, doesn't have this kind of thing. And yet people make silly programming mistakes that allow you to steal money and have yeah. real financial yeah, consequences. So, No, and you, you can see uh, WebAssembly and, and all of this where, um, and you can see actually uh, talk about this exact uh, microcosm of this in Heap. Mm. Right. So back in the day, um, and again, 2015, 2016, uh, it was like the, the first heap renaissance. And you, you had, you know, a house of this, house of that, and everything, everything worked. Everything was uh, the Wild West. And then the heap slowly started hardening, right? And things were, were harder and harder and harder. And then Tcash mm -hmm. came out. Right. And so suddenly it was, it was Christmas time, open season on, on the heap once again. Um, and now things are starting to harden again, right? So maybe it's cyclical. Maybe, uh, like you said, ROP will go in and there'll be some other crazy thing and it'll be, um, WebAssembly or Yon85 or something crazy, uh, some, some new style of, of computing where all of this is relevant, um, or Ethereum. But I don't know. I, I, I do think that, it, uh, I mean, eventually, right, looking ahead decades, we have to think about uh, is CTF going to be as fun or how can we keep CTF as fun without pwnables? I think this non-pwnable CTF was a, was a, an interesting experiment. I'm not sure what the motivations behind Yeah, well, you was, definitely heard it here first. No pwnables in future DEF CONs, CTFs. That's what, that's what yes, Jan's it's, saying. It's something like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and then the, the other question is... Um, um, what uh how do we see automation wait wait let's let's so, put a pause on that uh, question for one second i want to see if uh, something happens but because i'd like to weigh in first on the what i see in ctfs oh okay yeah because i uh, go yeah. ahead so yeah i think actually the and that's why i kind of wanted to interpret this question more so so what changes would i like to see hold on adam i just lost in audio, the future so uh while jan messes with his audio driver which is uh, super fun in the middle of recording a podcast um, what I think the question we really have to ask ourselves is, and it's kind of something you touched on a little bit, Jan, it's like, why do people leave CTF and stop CTFing after four or five years? I think everyone kind of sees that it's a, in some sense, you know, one way to phrase it is it's a young person's game, right? People, you got to spend weekends, uh, you got to give up your weekends to CTF. You have to... Um, you know, give up your time during the week. And I think, you, you know, time spent preparing for CTFs is always time spent worthwhile. But, you know, is it really sustainable to be competing in 48-hour CTFs weekend after weekend after weekend? And I think we really need to start thinking about burnout. Like, why, you know, people stop CTFing, right? Some of the, and some of them go and be security professionals at companies and maybe CTF occasionally. But there's a very clear thing that about every five or six years, kind of people rotate out of mm -hmm. CTFs. So I'd like people to start thinking about how can we try to change CTF so that they are more sustainable so that we can actually maybe play CTFs. And I know there's a lot of insane things. I feel uh, I'm confident that I can say this because I was shot down many, many, many times. Uh, but I've 
was pitched like why don't why don't we have can we have a month of ctf could you have a ctf spread out over a month so that you have challenges leaked out you know not leaked out but given maybe a few at a time so people could work on it over the course of a week uh you know i know there's a lot of kind of problems and flip sides to that but i'd i'd really like to see something that is sustainable that you know that people can play ctfs for 15 or 20 years so that you know i don't want to get burnt out as i get older more responsibilities and more you know of my free time goes away i still want to be able to play and contribute to ctf so that's kind of the thing i'd like to see people think about and discuss yeah yeah it's uh i think it's something that everyone everyone sees in the community right there are some um i I think of it as a half-life exactly right so it's not that you're guaranteed to cycle out in uh, five years but half of your team is going to cycle out in five years or or at the very least in five years after they stop being students um yeah, it's kind of tricky. And, of course, you get the, the, the hangers-ons, right? right? Um, like Chris Eagle or, or Giovanni, these the sort of, you know, um, uh, pillars um, of the community. But, yeah, I I wonder what that would look like. You have stuff like CTF 365, right, where it's just theoretically it's, it's a constantly running um, CTF. Um, but... It, it's tricky, oh, right? Sure. There's something different about being forced to learn something in a yeah, week. exactly. Those time constraints, I mean, are definitely yeah. a huge part of it. And maybe, I don't know, maybe one thing it goes from is from a novice style thing to, you know, can we think about, I don't know, is esports like the good definition, right? You can drop in and play. I'm going to sound dumb because I don't know any uh, latest. I'm going to say it's StarCraft 2, maybe. Uh, you know, you can drop in. A... Yeah, I think I think some old people. Still yeah, play I don't know. That, I was yeah. gonna say Counter Strike, but that would really, really date me. So Counter Strike one there six. You go. So yeah, so you know, you can pop in, play a game, and pop out, right? Where, but there's a whole competitive aspect of people who are doing it literally professionally, right? So I, I think that that's kind of like an interesting maybe way to to take that. So yeah okay cool so yeah going back to then the the question that came up in the chat so thanks uh ghost raptor so uh, in the twitch chat so where do you see the future of automation in ctf and do you see automated analysis and exploitation taking a bigger part so actually you already started to see that um uh and, and it was and uh, actually exactly counter. you saw uh, action and reaction right yes so, so um, shortly after, I, I don't remember when this started up, but in, with the rise, it was also around the Cyber Grand Challenge, right? Um, with the rise of these complex program analysis techniques that can then rewrite binaries automatically, et cetera, et cetera, there were teams that um, have shown up with these automated Superman defenses, right? And whether that is, you know, you go and, and do something simple like have an LD preload module that or or just change up um the the plt for for uh, free to just uh remove it so you know break a lot of heap uh vulnerabilities or complex stuff like rewrite a binary to extend every stack frame or re-randomize locations or you know all sorts of stuff right um of varying complexity so automatic patching has been a thing for a very very long time um and it's something that has basically been uh, disallowed, um, whether 
by um, just statements in the rules saying Superman def defenses are not allowed and we will go to you and force you to roll something back or like what we do at DEFCON um, or what ha we have done at least um, in our previous uh, three years where we have a uh, limit on the number of bytes you can patch in a binary. Right. Um, to make sure that, that people are really uh, patching the... Actually you know, fixing the bug and not just fixing, patches. trying to... Not even fix, but obfuscate an entire class of bugs, let's say. Exactly. Yeah, because vulnerabilities, exploitation is extremely precise. And that's part of the point. It wouldn't be very fun if it wasn't very precise, if it wasn't a careful skill. Um, and, of course, you can screw up um, a subtle exploit very easily. It's much easier to break an exploit than it is to land an exploit. Um, so there's this especially multi the interesting multi -bug thing is, exploits right so if you're you have a bug that has multiple exactly. stages you may your Superman defense may have uh, disrupted the second phase without really understanding what the underlying problem is which is not cool yeah <laughs> exactly exactly so it's uh, there there are problems and so people the organizers fight against these um, then the question on the automated side. I think it's going to be a very, very long time before we see automation being like true automation, not just helpful tooling, but true automation um, being competitive on the high levels, right? Because by definition, the high levels are the very, very edge of, of, of the state of the art. Um, so for example, um, if someone discovers some novel, crazy heap technique and has a CTF, challenge with with that crazy heap technique uh i've created automatic exploitation or i've been involved in the creation of automatic no, no, you created all of mechanical fish that's what you're stating right here that all mean no. <laughs> but i i was involved in in uh research on the creation of uh um you know these systems and uh they are very fragile right they are um and, 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 and the way that you create them is you you have an idea of um, what, you know, the vulnerabilities you need to target and exploit are, and you create an automated system that kind of thinks like you do. When you create something that thinks like you do, and then you receive a challenge that for you would require you to learn something extra, the system that you created does not have that capability, right? That's the, the, the core problem with automatic attack. Um, now that's for fully automatic attack. I think we are seeing, um, there are a lot of research, large overarching research programs, including ones going on, um, that, that our lab is involved with, right. Um, for aiding a human in the ability to approach these complex, um, uh, things, right. right? That I think we'll see quite a lot of new tools, new, uh, you know, or new ex, ex attention to existing tools that'll that'll basically bring automation to it or human guided automation full automation i don't see being very effective sorry no, 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 that's great that i think that's brand. and the interesting thing if you look at it you could say well there's already a lot of automation in ctfing right i mean part of at least a part of it is you know being familiar with things i mean pwn tools is probably one of the best examples of i don't know if you'd call that necessarily automation, but it does automate a lot of the tedious and difficult parts of poning things, right? Or like 
uh, like you said, ROP, a ROP compiler, right, would be is a clear example of automating something that you could definitely do by hand, but it's such a tedious part that you want the, the a machine to do it. But like you said, the it really gets to the, what is the core of a CTF, right? The core is not to run another yeah. CyberGrind challenge to see who has the best automated systems, you know, and that and people I think could have different views on that. You may want to. You know, Rodeo Day is, I think, a good example of something where the whole point is mm-hmm. to create automated systems. But, you know, in our view, and I think we have a shared view of this, Jan, is that the point of a CTF is to figure out who has the best human hackers. And, yeah, sure, they may be augmented with scripts and tools and other kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, if it's a question of two different teams, you want the one that's the better hackers to win, not the one that has better automation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is there's a, a place for for automation. And that is also part of skill, part of your preparation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the automation that you want to see is extremely general, right? Because you want to see, okay, who not who is the best x86 64 heap challenges on libc uh, 2.31 hacker, right? You want to see who's the best, you know, hacker. And that's the same for the automation right. too. Right. So if they really create an automation that is really useful for, for example, um, when uh, we released Anger, right. Um, And before we released, especially before we released Anger, every uh, not every, but many, many reversing challenges up to like three, four hundred point challenges would be angerable. Right. Right. Um, We would you know, load them in, we'd say, okay, so I'll get you from here to here, we deal with a couple of explosions along the way, and then we'd have a flag. Then we released it. And for the next year or two, 200 and 300 challenges were still angerable, then only 200 ones, right. Um, and what we want to see is, you know, if, if someone creates the next system that can start tackling exploitation challenges, or reversing challenges, or something along those lines on its own, great. Yeah, you know that is very cool to see, but we we want to see you know a, a very significant step, not just like you know. Um, so I don't know. A follow up question. Yeah. So in Twitch, Quaztiel, Q A Z T I E L S, are abstraction and automation the same? Which I think a great question because I think oh, yes and no. That is really, right. Yeah. So I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I think exactly. in this context, maybe we're thinking abstraction in terms of, you can think of it in maybe decompilers, right? Something that helps you abstract the complexity of a binary by essentially trans- automatically translating it into a higher level language. Um, yeah, but I don't know that every form of abstraction would be. I feel like this is a crazy question for like a PL theory person that could respond in monads and stuff that I don't think I could definitely do. So I think... I'm going to say for our purposes, yes. I think we're very broadly saying if there's any kind of machine or script or computing thing that you create and write that allows you to do better at CTF, then yeah, I think that would be within kind of the broad automation umbrella that we're talking about. Yeah, it's, I think abstraction is almost more the the automation that um, we would almost like to, you know, that I think is, is interesting. That can I think it can help a human more. Exactly for... right. Because rather exactly. than an automation yeah. that's just fit to a specific task, like, oh, I can I can gen like 
a ROP compiler, right? Can generate a ROP payload mm-hmm. under very specific circumstances, right? It has to look for exact gadgets. It can't really reason yeah. about new gadgets or new scenarios or new ways around things. I think that's the- uh, but whereas if you had something that maybe abstracted the ROP gadgets into a way that you as a human could easily understand to be able to piece them together easier, yeah, I think that's something that would be definitely useful. That's really interesting. I think a, a, a ROP compiler or, or a good example of automation is a ROP gadget finder. Yes. Right? Uh, back in the early days of ROP, I mean, uh, some of the first ROP challenges, uh, I'm trying to remember, like may, maybe the based off of my, my, my best effort memory, uh, Harry Potter at, I think, Plaid. Was it at Plaid? Um, that was an awesome ROP channel, a challenge where it was super constrained ROP. Um, that at the time, if I remember correctly, the tooling available for it, um, we had to uh, basically object dump. We would cat out the binary, yep. randomly offset it, and yep. object dump. Right, and that was our ROP gadget finder. Right, um, and then things like you know XROP, RP plus plus ROP gadget, all of these tools now. Which I think I don't know. It, it probably um, you and, can't draw direct correlation between CTFs and those tools, but I think it's very clear to somebody like yourself, right? Once you spend time yes. doing this manually, you say, you know what? It'd be really nice to have something to automate this, right? And then that automation then yeah. helps maybe you, but other people are going to have those same thoughts. And so those tools will be used by everyone very shortly. For sure. For sure. Um, I mean, I think Pwn Tools is a exactly. good example, right? Pwn Tools was created for CTFs by Gallup Sled and, and is a, uh, now being used in cybersecurity education, I use it extensively in my class. It's being used in real-world um, exploit writing. It's it's uh, because the tool you learn through CTF and then start applying widely. Um, but but I think ROP gadget finders in terms of abstraction is the perfect example, right? It's it is automation. It automates this you know ridiculous object dump uh, uh, shell script that that we had. Uh, but then it, uh, it it abstracts over the binary into the Rob gadgets, and then there's a further level of abstraction into you know uh, whether it's Rob gadgets, uh, automatic uh, chain builder, or something like Angrop um, that that you know produces the full gadget. Uh, does that automate away hacking and take away humans? No, and it doesn't necessarily even you know. I mean, it doesn't close out. Uh, specific um, types of challenges or anything, but it um, it's a very, very useful abstraction yeah. tool. Awesome. Cool. So then um, switching gears a bit. So we have a question from uh, Twitter that is, and this is from uh, X3ERO0. <laughs> so I'll link that in the show notes. I think, I think that's probably pronounced zero. Oh yeah, it is okay. That makes sense. So actually, zero. Let let me let me double check to make sure this is still the case. Is um, one of the um, worldwide students participating in Pone oh, College, nice. my um, cybersecurity education platform. Yeah, he's currently in seventh place. Oh, there we go. Awesome. Um, from so top ten zero to hero. College. So the question yeah. is, what's the most craziest CTF challenge you guys made slash solved in reverse engineering or binary exploitation? I have my answer, but I'll go next. You want to go first, Jan? You've, you've actually solved yeah, more of so, these styles of challenge. I think that from you might be more interesting, but sure. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, 
it's one of these laws of, I mean, kind of almost the opposite of laws of big numbers. You could solve a lot of different challenges, but which ones are, you know, these, all of them have interesting technical nuggets, right? They're like, uh, you know, for example, in binary reverse engineering, there was um, one challenge that was at, I want to say CodeGate. Um, I think it was either CodeGate or SecUnside, one of those, where um, I uh, solved a um, uh, VHDL reversing, if I remember correctly. And it was like, I'd never even seen VHDL before in my life. I had been vaguely aware of it. And so within eight hours, you know, I had to <laughs> learn VHDL to a good enough point to reverse compiled VHDL um, and uh, extract um, the, the flag. And I understand, you know, that in the end we, we created this uh, dynamic um, technique. I, I, I don't remember. I think we injected delays or something. I, anyways, so we were able to induce a timing attack on the, the VHDL uh, output and... and, and uh, um, that's cool so then wait what did you guys use then for did you take a hardware class in undergrad or no um i took a uh not quite the close i took to a hardware class was like uh we used um um um, um like the precursor to arduino essentially mm. right so we, we didn't, so you didn't program like an fpga do or any hardware like oh. no I, I i'm not in school I never programmed that. You're missing out, man. That was the, I got little lights, I got lights no. to blink and stuff, and it was like a thing. Okay. Yeah, and this is very cool stuff. Like I, I had um, the the summer after my freshman year of college when I learned, like I, I did computer organization. Computer organization was very cool because um, it was kind of a hacking course. But at the end, I came home that summer. I'm like, I'm gonna build an architecture from scratch out of like you know logic gates and stuff, and I never did. Uh, until now when I created Yon85. Um, but, um, yeah. So, so from that perspective, that's a cool one. But, but, but it's cool to me. I think probably looking back, probably as a, to a VHDL pro, they'd be like, yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's like, uh, but, but, um, I have a couple, like my favorite mm-hmm. solution. Did we talk about it on, on the podcast, the, uh, rooting of the, the the reason I'm in grad school, um, kind of my DefCon yes. origin story. Yes. Yeah, with the with the file yes, permissions and stuff. Yeah, and so so that's probably my favorite solution to this day because the solution was so went beyond what was intended. It's not that the solution was unintended; the actual exploit was intended, but then the stage three or whatever stage n plus one of that exploit um, resulted in. Uh, root compromise of a lot of machines of competitors um and landed me in grad school okay wait no the answer is no i thought you were talking about when you and your friend who we won't name were fighting over their machines over your irc machines okay no we have you have the story so go ahead so um we have talked about how me and you adam reversed uh the reversing 500 a virtual machine um at defcon um uh 2008 right Mm -hmm. or 2009 we yep. talked about that. And so then um, we did a great job. Uh, Shellfish qualified, and we went to finals. Um, at finals, I show up, 
And uh, me and, and, and actually the unnamed friend that you mentioned earlier, um, sit down to do this um, one uh, challenge. I forget what it was, it was called, but we're, um, it was like a, a crazy Lisp interpreter with some memory corruption inside and blah, 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 blah. And so we uh, exploit this thing. Um, we read an exploit and we are uh, out to dinner um, as a team uh, on Saturday night. And I'm thinking, man, something is just not adding up with the way that um, the file system is uh, uh, set up in the vulnerable box. And it's giving me vibes similar to that um, uh, crazy uh, rooting of my friend's machine that we had talked about in our origin stories, right? And so I realized, wait a second, it's the exact same problem. If you move, you, if you get command execution, um, the, the, the back then the challenges were um, written to run as root, open up the low ports they needed, and then uh, drop privileges. Uh, and and I realized if you you don't have access to the to the um, binary itself, it's owned by root. But if you move it out of the way, because you have right access to the directory, and then you copy it back in, now you have right access to the file, and then you can patch out the uh, privilege drop, and then be. Yeah, and then you can kill the parent because the parent mm -hmm. was now running it with an effective user ID of yourself. And then the next time when the team would restart, it wouldn't drop privileges and it's running as root. The next time you uh, attack, it's your machine, right? And so we wrote this exploit and we launched it on Sunday. And on Sunday morning, we took over, I don't know how many machines, many, um, and uh, vaulted ourselves and, and, and this is actually a, a, a monument to how disorganized we loved being, yeah. right? We love just showing up and hacking. You know, no organization, uh, barely, you know, the, there are people in charge, but fuck it, we we're all just like piling in and hacking. So, you know, probably if we had been more ready, that could have been a very easy victory, right? We could have locked people out of their machines and then and collected all the flags. And as it was, we just collected a bunch of flags and then uh, fell back to fourth place by, by the end of the game. Um, but um, that was probably my favorite solution. The challenge itself, I barely remember. <laughs> but the solution of the challenge uh, was, was, was awesome. Uh, and that actually, that uh, solution is what got me when I reached out to uh, Giovanni afterwards about doing uh, graduate work. You know, that's what he remembered when I reached that out to him. That makes sense now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, when I, I mean, I have a couple others I can talk about, um, but, but I think we, we should uh, bounce Yeah, sure. I think for me my one's going to be the i think the pinnacle of my craziness was this last one with the uh parallel af uh challenge for defcon 28 ctf so i haven't mentioned it i briefly mentioned it on the podcast but not uh, i haven't mentioned it in terms of uh, uh we we did an in-depth uh discussion during defcon about it during some uh, uh audience interaction so anyways i will briefly so Basically, I, I don't know, maybe it should be probably clear by now that like I like thinking about computation in, ter in different terms or like thinking 
kind of trying to boil hacking down to its raw essence and say, okay, what is it that we're really doing here? And it actually goes back to the things we just talked about, about automation, right? Like what it, if you're a hacker on a desert island and, or an alien comes down and gives you some new system, like, can you hack that system? Are you so reliant on the tools that you have that you can't adapt to this new situation? And so those are some of the things I love thinking about. And I, you know, and, and especially if it's historical in nature, because then it forces you to think about something else that like, and it's also a glimpse into what could have been right. So like what, you know, thinking through different historical architectures, it's like, yeah, but we could be living, you know, who knows what kind of historical accidents occurred in order to shift us into the current architecture we have now. So I actually, I don't know if you do this, Jan, but I throughout the year keep a list of notes of different types of ideas for CTF challenges. Mm-hmm. And then when it gets time to prepare for something like quals or finals, I kind of go through there, see if there's anything interesting that sparks my interest. And I had written down, and I still don't know where this idea came from. I've asked several people that I think were the culprits, but I don't know. I had down there a data flow machine. And I start, you know, doing like all, all these things, you start Googling and researching and being like, okay, what the heck is a data flow machine? So if you look, um, if you look up, uh, in Wikipedia, you can, there's a Wikipedia article about, uh, data flow machine architectures. And so I started there. I read this, I read, there's a whole bunch of papers from the seventies and eighties where basically they were trying at the time, like it's crazy to think about that, like the current computer architecture we use, right? X86 um, von Neumann style architecture that wasn't set in stone. Like it was not a thing that just like, it was assumed that we were going to use that architecture. And so there was, and essentially what really got me going and what really intrigued me about this was that you read about this and then you understand there's no program counter. So it's a computer architecture, which is designed to compute something without a program counter. And that runs contrary to just about, and you know, you did um, how many architectures for that DEF CON 26 finals challenge? Was it 15, uh, I think 16? The 11, 15, yeah. something like so that. So different architectures. Did any I of them- the, the top team did not. Did any of them not have a program counter? No. Every yeah, so a program counter is basically, so the way most CPU architectures work is you have your program instruction as bytes somewhere in memory. And the program counter is a register inside the CPU that says you are currently at this instruction. This is the next instruction that's going to execute. So it fetches the memory. Um, it The CPU has to fetch the instruction from memory, decode it, figure out what it is. Oh, it's an add. I need to add these two registers together and put the uh, data over here. And then it updates the program counter after this instruction is done executing to what the next instruction is. And that's how you get things like jumps. So it'll say execute this, 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 oh, and then jump down here to this other thing. And, but this is a data flow machines do not have a program counter, which seems bonkers. Like how could you compute something if you don't know what instruction you're on and what things you're supposed to do next? And so the idea is rather than thinking about your computation in terms of the the like what should execute next in a sequential order what you encode in the architecture is how should data flow throughout the system so if you want to calculate what's one plus two you would have an instruction that says take one and take two and add them together and then 
you'd send the results to the next instruction that needed it. So in this way, you have this graph that defines how to do the computation. So it actually gives you even a different way of representing your instructions at the architecture level. And actually all of the papers on this topic actually um, show you this. So this is what I kind of started running with. And I was like, oh, this would be a super cool reversing slash poning problem if like I could create an emulator for this data flow machine. And the beautiful thing that I found was these machines were actually created. Like they created physical machines um, about, uh, they created these these physical machines. And so then it becomes something that's not just a, you know, a theoretical exercise. Like people actually built these things. So I implemented an emulator. So I implemented like a CPU and basically created a C program that had, and, and the way all these things work is there's different modules and they have message passing between them. So I had, cues between them so basically like everything did you know you basically like any instruction that can execute gets passed to an instruction unit that can execute it and then it's data it, it encodes where it's data is supposed to go next and then that goes into something that then figures out okay the next instruction here's the input does it have its second input yet if it does then it can execute if it doesn't then it can't execute and it just keeps going like this and so the was super fun and I mean it's it is bonkers like it's crazy so I I wrote this uh, essentially like the machine so I wrote the machine and said okay I have the machine I have all the instructions for the machine Shh, crap I've got to now figure out how do I program this effing machine so I programmed it by hand with simple test cases and then I had to extend that and now you have to start thinking like okay I'm building up this base but what do I want it to be in terms of a um, a challenge so. What I realized is I had to write an operating system, basically, and then user space programs. And to do that, I created my own simple programming language that would be a language that I could write a program in that would compile down to this data flow architecture. Anyways, it was all kinds of insanity. It took me months. Um, and the... Yeah, go ahead, Jan. Do you know the concept of like a conservatorship when you can basically say, okay, this adult person is incapable of... Uh existing in society uh, so i mean i i do but i don't know how you're going to use this right now so <laughs> I, I think at the court hearing where we'll establish uh legal control over you you're gonna play this and like oh yeah this is a crazy person <laughs> so yeah but then you know you need and then the the key thing that i always think of with these these um type of challenges is just like what you know, and then the other thing is like, you know, think of the vulnerability, right? And what type of exploits do you want people to write from this, right? So it's an attack defense challenge. I didn't want it to be just some, um, just quote, quote, a reversing challenge, right? So I like the vulnerability should then tie into, because if it's just a trivial buffer overflow in the emulator, you could completely exploit it without understanding any of this insanity that I just probably spent way too long explaining. Um, and so, uh, so then what I realized is by the nature of how this architecture works, it's fundamentally impossible without additional features to support a separation between the operating system and user space. Because instructions can send their result wherever they wanted to go. That reminds me, I did have to write like an, basically like a loader and an elf and a relocatable. Yeah, man, that was crazy now that I think about it. But <laughs> uh, Anyways, so... Any instruction can essentially send data anywhere, including to the operating system. 
So you can load a program. So if you had, let's say, like a like permission checks in an operating system, right? Which is essentially what I emulated. So I had a function in the operating system that was open file. And you could open any file except the flag file, right? So there's in my code, there's a check for if flag. But the crazy thing that I really wanted the teams to understand is that actually you could just call the open function directly from the um, from user space. You could bypass the checks completely by setting up data correctly and sending it essentially into the operating system at a very targeted location. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely, I think this is crazier than the Lisp machine. I don't know if anybody out there on Twitch has done both and could comment. I think it's crazier than the Lisp machine. Um, no, you look... You sound crazier when talking about it. Yeah, I think it's because the list machine built on stuff that was already there. So I think that was less yeah. crazy. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the the you know, and uh, I made some mistakes with that challenge. I think with where we released it, the idea was to have three different stages. The first stage being that there was um, a backdoor in a user space program that you could use to call into um, the kernel to get the flag. So. And then there was a second that removed that where you actually had to do what I wanted and had people upload code, essentially, their own program that they would then execute that would get the flag. And PVP was the only team that made it there. I even, Jan convinced me, this is part of what we do as we're developing challenges. I tell Jan this insanity that I'm thinking of, and he, yes, part of this is spurred on by you, man. You're the one who keeps like pushing and being like, yeah, what if you go, I know. You go crazy? <laughs> There's a single step. Just there's single pushing. step mode in what is it, eighty eighty six or something? That uh, yeah. And so I I created a whole single line. step mode. So I I had a f- switch in the binary that teams could flip, and the first a hundred bytes then would be a program that would get called on every instruction, so that the teams could actually patch this. So they could patch it in phase two by like moving things around, um, but they really could like actually patch it by doing like introspection to understand in their own language what things could or could not be called so yeah that was crazy Whew. I, uh... so i think the answer oh perry that's is, super that, that is a pretty badass perry bus just wrote in our twitch stream doing the list machine challenge was how Dude. lucas and perry met so i will f- fully take responsibility for that so uh, feel free to name any future children after me i would highly appreciate that or more cats. Or um, cat. I'm allergic to cats. I feel like that's. Uh, uh, I'd rather take a kid. I'll take a middle name. How about that? Okay. <laughs> middle name is pretty good. Um, there's a uh, a very important question on Twitch about my mm-hmm. lion painting. So for those, we're finally going to hear that story. Exactly. Yeah, I think it might be a bit of a underwhelming story. But for those that are listening, I'm holding up a very tasteful lion oh, painting. Yep. Uh, into the camera. He's gonna um, mess it up when he hangs it. I bet. Oh my god! Man, if he put his fist through that painting, that'd be amazing. Uh, it's I only incredibly cro- crooked right now. People that only listen to the podcast. <laughs> All right, we're back. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, the line painting um, is there because uh, my partner, Mrs. Brooke, Mrs. Brooke, Mrs. Jan, but her, she's Brooke, hates it. Um, uh, so I have it in my office. It's awesome. Wait, wait. So the reason it's here it's is because it's essentially super ugly, is what. Mrs. No, it's awesome. Yeah, Come on, it, it, it's 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 a 
philosophically... Uh, Do you consider yourself a lion? Or is that your favorite version of OS X? Let's go with the second. <laughs> Definitely not. I think considering yourself a lion, that's just like a, a, a level of douchiness. Yeah, that, you know, once that you get married, little, you kill all of your um, partner's babies as a form of making sure that exactly. your uh, genes went out, right? Just like a lion. Just like a lion. There's um, actually, so in... in <laughs> In Russia, there was a surprisingly common occurrence of like families having a pet lion or a pet tiger, and then uh, you know if the dad dies, then then the lion kills the rest of the family because the lion might recognize the dad as the you know head of the pride, and then it's over. Nice, wow. <laughs> that was actually yeah. a terrible so that's story. A that good... had nothing to do with where you got that lion painting. It's just why it's in there. So. Just why it's in there. I'll, uh, where where I got it is a mystery. It's not impossible that line paintings like that instantiate spontaneously. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, you uh, want to do one more uh, craziest CTF challenge you made or solved challenge. in reverse engineering or binary expectation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, there there there's so there are a, a lot of so many challenges a lot that you've solved good, it's so difficult awesome. and so many so that you've many created, that I solved it's, it's just, just hard so to, hard uh, to choose yeah exactly i might not have a black badge but i've i've solved a lot of 100 point challenges no, i'm just kidding um but one challenge i didn't solve until five minutes after the ctf ended uh, actually uh, there there's many of these And we just lost Jan. So Jan, I'm sure Linux just crashed for him. So this is great. This is exactly the way I thought this would go. I'm sure. Dude, hey, there we I go. think there's just a timer until Chrome crashes. Oh, Because this cool. happened last time too. Yeah, probably right around this time. So that's awesome. I love Anyways. dealing with all of your uploads. It's great. <laughs> I don't know why. All okay. Right. Um, so there's... Uh, the, the expo uh, there's two exploitation ones and one crypto the crypto i guess is out of the scope of the question but in solving the crypto me and riammer and antonov i think um we found an error in the only crypto book to discuss that problem we found a typo where instead of minus they had plus it's insane like we found it, we, we, we got the wrong solution, we tracked backwards, we tracked down error, and we solved the freaking problem literally five minutes after CTF. Wow. Did you uh, follow up with the authors? Is that why they created that challenge? Had, Maybe oh, they found the same bug and were like, screw these guys, I'm going to make a challenge about this. That's an interesting question. I, we did not. We should have. Then, um, for Opponable, there was a, a year of, I think it was Secu Inside, um, that had 1,000 point challenges. Right. Um, and so they had like, you know, the standard, you know, 100, 200, whatever. And then they had like three or four 1000 point challenges. And um, the Ponable one was a uh, insane um, thing. On, you know, the, this concept of in video games, sometimes you you bust out of the level and you start running around memory. Right. So it was that in Sokoban. And when you... Uh, got out of the level you uh dug into um the global offset table oh cool uh, I, back then the global offset table could be writable sometimes um 
And uh, you had to, you know, in Sokoban, you rearrange um, parts of the level. And by doing that, you have to basically uh, hijack control flow and, and win. And the reason that's very memorable to me, and the reason I didn't solve it until after the CTF, is there's a lot of randomization in that level. So I um, patched out the um, PLT stub of random to just ret, right? And because of that, the GOT entry of random never got initialized. And on the version of libc that was running remotely that, that I, I'm retrieved from fingerprinting the other values, um, the version of random was had the values or the, the address of random had the values that I needed. Right, and because I passed it out, it was never initialized. I never noticed those values while exploring. Uh, I wasn't able to solve the problem. This is actually the um, inspiration for me writing Preeny. I wrote Preeny to avoid having to patch stuff out on these challenges. And at one point, I had some crazy uh, compiler pass. I never actually committed that. I think that would lay out Preeny so that you would have your function addresses would line up with libc that you were preloading, or at least nice. the, the, the last the three bytes. It was insane. Nice. Actually, that's a, you know, both those stories are very interesting because they actually weren't about challenges that you solved during the competition. So I think it's, you know, interesting to point out and make clear that like, yeah, you can not solve something during the competition and that's fine. And you actually learn a lot. Like maybe in the moment, I'm sure it sucked not to get those points for the crypto challenge but you know you came away with it uh finding bugs you realize there's bugs in books and papers just like everywhere else yeah and you know this other thing actually helped you to come up with a new tool and a new would you call it an abstraction or an automation abstraction abstraction so the preny abstraction layer yeah you just abstraction sounds fancier i feel like that's why you gravitate towards using that exactly yeah, cool. Freeney was my, my first open source success. Uh, <laughs> Preeny is a set of LD preload libraries where instead of, you know, calling, uh, I don't know, open, it'll call something, uh, whatever. It'll call Yon open underscore open. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it's stuff for like disabling randomization, uh, turning a Timers, network alarms. Binary. Exactly, disabling alarm turning a network library into a standard in a network binary into a standard in binary. Um, not crazy stuff at all. And I managed to write up a pitch of 3D more or less as a meme and uh, like presented it at, at uh, Black Hat tools arsenal, which fine. It's not, it's, it's, it's not so insanely uh, selective, but it's still funny that I presented LD preload stubs there. Nice. Very fun. That's awesome, man. Okay, so I think we have uh, one final question. Uh, before we do that, Perry Bus in the Twitch chat has a great quote. Uh, it's not about the flags that you capture. It's about the friends you make along the way. So we should all take that to heart. Um, awesome. So, okay, then the the last question let's go with is from Engen, Engenhell, Engen, like Engen values hell, uh, on Twitter, who said, if I don't have any local CTF teams in my city or country, What's the best way to start a team or join a team somewhere else? This is a tricky challenge, right? Right now, in um, the age of everyone being remote anyways, it's probably the best time to um, not have a a, a team in your country, right? Or city. Um, 
but Adam, you, you, you often have good advice on open to all, right? Yeah, that's what I would recommend. I mean, I don't, I'm not affiliated with them. I've never played with open for all, but there's literally a CTFM team out there that is dedicated to being open to all people that want to participate. So I would highly recommend, uh, you know, checking that out, using that as a way to get your foot in the door, you know, see if you like CTFs and then I'd recommend playing with them for a bit, get your feet wet. And then once you feel like you kind of know the lay of the land, maybe after six months, maybe after a year, start your own damn team. Like, you know, I think this is one of the things that it's totally, it's, it's not only reasonable, but it's important to start, you know, when you see something like this that doesn't exist and that you think should go out there and do it. That's why we created this silly podcast. Cause we been talking about this for years about how, you know, so much of CTF information is lost. There's really no place for people to do it. And so we said, Hey, let's do it. And it took us what a month to release the first episode or something yeah. insane. Like, yeah. you know, we just made it happen. And, you know, I, I know there's always, it's always easier to convince yourself that it's impossible or hard to do, or that you don't have the time or the bandwidth right now. And some of that stuff may be true, but at the end of the day, you have to decide, like, you know, I like to think like you are, you are what you spend your time doing, not what you say you are. Right. So like, if you want to be the person to run a CTF podcast, make a CTF podcast. If you want to be the person to start a local CTF team, be that person and, you know, be nice, be welcoming and try to get people in. And it's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of work. Right. But we've seen from talking with, you know, organizers and captains and all of that, that as you bring people in, you start to create a self-perpetuating system. Like I think one of the, the really cool examples that I can point to for me personally was Pwn, uh, the Pwn Devils. So the Pwn Devils was when I started here at ASU in 2014, they had a CTF team that had basically been dormant for years. And I think they basically occasionally played in ICTF. And so I joined and I said, okay, I'm going to start up this group again. And I'll tell you what, I failed a lot starting that group up. We... Uh, and I keep trying to tell Jan and the current uh, folks about all the things that I tried because they often don't believe me that they don't work and people don't need to find out for themselves why things do or do not work. Like I did, you know, two hours a week where we'd have meetings, two hours a week. We played in CTFs on weekends and I would, you know, you have to be the cheerleader. It's the thing that you don't realize about being a captain and a leader is oftentimes what your job and role is, is to be a cheerleader and to get people going. Um, and so... You know, and then the Pwn Devils went from something that I put in a ton of time and effort into it to now being a thing where they've essentially merged with Shellfish and they're now part of Shellfish and it's a self-perpetuating thing. So currently um, Zion is the ASU captain of Shellfish Pwn Devils. I actually don't know your exact role. Sorry, Zion. I'm sure it's somewhere in my brain, but, uh, you know, and he runs the meetings. They're actually concurrently having a meeting right now going over reversing and stuff, which is hopefully why we lost them on the the. the the stream and so that's you know i think that's yeah. i think that's great and and i think jan you have an example i can say definitely of you know being at ucsb doing your phd seeing that shellfish was a kind of maybe losing its way ctf wise right we'd compete in like the major ctfs and then what did you decide to do did you just like complain about it or um so my big thing was uh how to keep shellfish able to qualify for defcon right and so we would do the, the hack meetings we would, I, I would needle people mercilessly about playing defcon yeah. quals uh going to defcon and actually we have to give credit where credit is due because um fish showed up 
right? And Fish is the one that demanded we play every CTF. Oh, awesome. Cool. Right? I was going to give that credit that, to you, so I'm glad you put it where it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, that was a, a game changer. You know, Fish said, we should play this CTF, we should play this CTF, we should play this CTF, and we started. And, you know, it's, it's um, tough when you're rusty. Um, it's one thing to get your skills back out for DEFCON um, quals, and uh, I think actually no longer viable as an approach with right. how difficult a CTF has gotten in general. Um, but back then, you know, it, it, it was it was difficult. And we'd, you know, see ourselves, okay, we're, we're number, I don't remember, 40th in like Mozilla CTF, right? Or, you know, these, and, and then uh, we just eventually were, you know, top five, top five, top two, top one, uh, and so on. I think a good example of uh, the the modern uh, generation of shellfish um, that that has players not uh, I mean from all over the place uh, ASU UCSB the world a um, uh, lot of amazing people right and uh, the undergrads are just one seesaw uh, uh, quals right um, you know and that's incredible um, that's that's something that. Uh, we had never managed to do back in my day, even when grad students could play with undergrads. Right. Right. So it, it takes a while. Over years, you'll start seeing payoffs. And it's very tricky to see those payoffs because you still have uh, tough times. So let me look up how Shellfish didn't hack the vote, for example, last weekend. I don't think... Uh, 22nd, I believe, or something. Exactly. So you, you'll... you'll, you'll you know, it, it's hard to maintain that momentum. You'll still have tough, uh, hard times, but it's, uh, yeah, 21st. It's important not to um, um, say, oh, shit, you know, we got 20th. Screw this. We're, we're leaving. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think you another... know, it's, that's important. And it's important to keep playing CTFs. You know, start, you know, start small with your team. Don't, you know, I, I would... Also encourage you, you know, you want to build up that core. So if you can try, you know, even if all of you specialize on one problem area, I think that's totally fine for the start to just like try all the poning challenge, like, you know, decide what challenges you want to get good at and just work on those challenges and work on them together as a group meet during the week. Uh, you know, you can definitely do that. And, and then you'll be the person that built up that, that uh, CTF scene in your town. And then maybe, you know, I don't know where you are or what, you know, but, there's always the chances in the medium to longer term future of joining a big CTF team or whatever, or joining one of these, like, uh, you know, the sour cloud or the M hackeronis or the, you know, entire country or region based CTF super teams. Like it definitely happens. So, uh, yeah, I think that's really good. And you had something else you wanted to say, Jan. Yeah. I was going to say the, the other thing is, um, an alternative route get good and this is tricky right you can get good by um following along with online board games or educational platforms right so if you complete all of phonable.kr you'll and then start applying not necessarily to teams that team that's kind of rare for teams to take these sort of applications but you could apply to um and this requires a lot more commitment to graduate programs around the world and if on your CV on your on your application package, you say, "Hey, I actually solved you know half of Phonable KR." That means something, right? right. And and there are certain um, faculty members, uh, us included, that will notice, right? Um, and and it's a, it's a, an important uh, part. Um, 
you can um and 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 all of the um education platforms are like that um right now i i am running uh, pwn college which is um you know binary exploitation um uh educational platform that takes you from kind of i phrase it like white belt to yellow belt right mm -hmm. um and uh people are now starting to email me and say hey i've been following along with pwn college it's awesome i want to do this can i um you know come do this uh at arizona state university and and that's awesome because i see already someone already you know is 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 fighting so hard to understand all this stuff and you know maybe they'll they'll be great to uh keep working with and then of course through that that's how you pull you into uh, ctf and then you start ctfing with our students and so forth yeah Cool. So, okay. Final question in the chat, because uh, I think this one will be very quick. Uh, Quaztiel asked, do we have any business ventures? I think we're... we're the answer is no. Man. I think our job yeah, is essentially is no. a business venture. Um, so, so I think it's an important thing to point out, like, uh, we're both professors, right? And at some point, um, as we were finishing up our graduate studies, we had to make the decision. Do we um, follow along the professor route um, and, um, you know, give up quite a lot of uh, potential business venturing and, and so forth for the sake of education and, and research, or do we, uh, you know, dive into business ventures? And, and we chose academia, right? Um, that's a, an interesting sort of choice. Uh, not It's not for everybody. Uh, we are here to teach you to research and create the next generation of, you know, cybersecurity techniques and stuff, um, and uh, to spread knowledge about them. Um, yep. Great. We're not here to make make tons of money, but if you want to give us money, that's yeah, yeah. If somebody wants to back up, uh, you know, a bunch of money for this podcast or really kind of anything, but if you want to back up a dump truck full of money, we're definitely not going to say no. But uh, exactly, you know, we're in a nice spot now where we have the freedom to do something like a silly CTF podcast um, that, you know, I think some people out there do listen to, which is super nice. And so, yeah, we, we, you know, we're about kind of giving back right with, in terms of being DEF CON organizers is our way of giving back to the DEF CON community. Uh, we do research, publish papers, publish source code for our papers, our research projects to help kind of push the community forward. So that's what we're going for there. So uh, yeah, thanks for everyone for joining us today. This was a new experiment in the CTF radio experience. Uh, I'm Adam D. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Dupay. He's Zardis. You can find him on Twitter at Zardis. Together, we're CTF Radio. You can find us on YouTube or Twitter at CTF Radio with three O's. Uh, you can send us questions through email at ctfradio at gmail.com. And who knows, maybe we'll use your questions on another live episode of CTF Radio. So take care, everyone, and happy hacking. Happy hacking.